We begin the program with good news from the PNE. Uh, this uh, plan to build a new world-class venue for outdoor concerts and festivals was formally given the thumbs up yesterday by Vancouver City Council. It's all about the PNE replacing the amphitheater, which was built as a temporary facility in 1966. So yeah, it's seen better days. Joining us uh, to talk about this from Vancouver City Council is Council. Lisa Dominato, independent counselor and chair of the board of directors for the PNE. So, wearing both hats this afternoon, Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, Sterling. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's good to have you. 1966, yeah, the old amphitheater has seen better days. And by the way, just to remind our listeners of that part of the PNE grounds we're talking about, Lisa, is that, uh, for example, where the uh, demolition derbies used to be? Yes, and it's just just south of the racetrack, um, and I know many have frequented it during the fair for the summer concert series, which is That's a right. highlight, I think, of the PME fair for many, including myself and my family. So the big difference, uh, above all else, more than any more, the seating, the washrooms, whatever, the big difference, Lisa, is the roof. Yes. Yes, that's one of the major features, not the only one. I mean, just first off, I got to say, we're really excited about this. As you know, it's been a tough year for the entertainment sector, arts and culture, including mm-hmm. Keeney and Hastings Park. Um, but absolutely, this um, transformation and renewal creates the opportunity to have a year-round venue because it would have roof cover, but all of the back-of-house amenities that we need in terms of audio and sound, uh, uh, suites. And, and we also will be able to flex the for different types of events. So, for instance, mm-hmm. right now, the seating is about 7,000. We'll be able to flex from 2,000 audience up to 9,000 audience. And this is identified as, in our business case work, as uh, an opportunity and a gap in the current market in Vancouver. We haven't had, though, that kind of outdoor venue with cover since the uh, Expo Amphitheater down at the Plaza of Nations, have we? No, and and it's um, as we know, while we're enjoying some extreme temperatures right now uh, in Vancouver, we also know that uh, a good part of the year we spend it under the rain, and Detail. it is a wet, uh, beautiful city, but often wet. And so the opportunity here is that we can use this space um, year-round under cover, uh, which also protects from the sun as well. And I've already had interest from organizations that people traditionally haven't seen um, uh, on site. For example, the VSO would love to perform okay. there. Ballet BC has come to me and said, we'd be interested in doing outdoor performances. Sure. And so it's really exciting um, for the arts and culture sector in Vancouver, I think. Do some of the math for us, Lisa, because this stuff costs, and you're estimating <laughs> just under $65 million for the cost of the actual amphitheater all in. Uh, and yet, you say you can recover those costs fairly rapidly because of the opportunity it, rent, it represents for rent-outs year-round rather than just occasionally during the summertime. Exactly. So this is, uh, um, you're right, it is uh, to the tune of $65 million. It'll be financed through the Hastings Park Reserve and through uh, essentially a city loan structure and be repaid uh, by the P&E. Um, but our, our market testing tells us that that can be repaid within seven to eight years and yeah. that there will be profits uh, because of um, there is such a strong case for um, arts and entertainment and culture events in this city and demand for it. And so uh, that's why we're pursuing this, and we think it's it's worth the investment to develop a world-class venue uh, that uh, citizens of Vancouver can enjoy, but also all of our Metro Vancouver neighbours and people throughout the province who come down to the Lower Mainland. 
Yeah, it'd be wonderful, too. Um, uh, from the board of directors hat, that other one on your desk there, Lisa, slip that one on for a second, because we heard mm-hmm. a week or two ago that the PNE was in pretty desperate financial shapes and was looking for a bailout from the province to the tune of about $8 million. Where? What's the story on that file today? Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've certainly been in in tough times uh, without being able to host regular events. Uh, We are in um, active discussions with the province. Uh, We Mm -hmm. are eligible for the recent um, funding announcement of, I think it's up to a million dollars for organizations. But um, from our perspective, we're a much larger scale organization than what that fund was intended for. So we're engaging in ongoing discussions with uh, provincial ministers and staff around opportunities uh, for some sustained support uh, to transition as, in light of the pandemic. Um, typically, um, the PE is self-sufficient, um, uh, doesn't receive operating funds from the city yeah. um, but this was an unusual year, last year and a half. And so we're going to continue those discussions with the province. Excellent. And back to the brand new amphitheatre. What is the expected date for the first show in this new uh, PNE venue? Yeah, great question. Well, our, our time frame around construction and completion is around 24, 2024, 2026. And I recognize in saying that that might seem really far out for people. Um, mm. And so we are having discussions with our staff about how can we expedite that uh, through our own you know, procurement processes so that we could bring uh, a form together even sooner than that. Uh, but those well, are the time frames right now. It's a very welcome addition to the city. We And uh, this, uh, the rain capital of Canada, and it's, it doesn't feel like that and won't for the next week, Lisa. But yes, we do have our moments. And uh, good on you for getting back to a, a roofed venue like that. Thanks for doing this with us today, too. It's, it's a great way to start off our show with a bit of good news from Hastings Park. It is fantastic. And thanks for having me on. Sterling Fox for Jill Bennett on this Tuesday afternoon, joined by Evan Dunphy, who is a Canadian Olympian racewalker just about to take off for Tokyo and the delayed 2020 Games. Evan, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Afternoon. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you with us. And first and foremost, congratulations for busting through a couple more Canadian records by way of tuning yourself up for Tokyo. Well done. Ah, thank you so much. It's nice to, uh, it's nice to feel fast. I'll bet it does. So talk to us a little bit, Evan, if you would, please, about being an Olympic race walker. It's a sport that a lot of people still don't completely understand. No, certainly not. And, uh, you know, I think uh, luckily my my teammates and I, my former teammates and I have done a lot here in Lower Mainland to to get people uh, knowing more about it simply by just being out there and walking you know, 20, 25 K a day, um, you know, race walking. I like to explain it. It's just running with rules. We, we try to accomplish the exact same thing that a runner does try to get from point A to point B as fast as possible, but we're confined by just a couple of rules that make us look a little bit sillier. Now are the, because you are confined and constrained by certain rules uh, throughout a, 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 an Olympic event, which takes hours, are there Olympic officials scattered along the event, Evan, just to make sure that you're conforming to those rules throughout the entire thing? Yeah, so, so I race 50 kilometers, and we'll do that entire thing on a two-kilometer loop. Uh, and we'll have oh, seven, seven judges around that loop watching our pretty much every step. And, and if we're, if we're uh, you know, if they deem us to be breaking those rules uh, three times, then we get disqualified. 
Interesting stuff. Is it more fun from a walking point of view, from the athletic performance point of view, uh, in a controlled environment like that 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 track that you just keep going around and around, or is it more fun doing uh, through the streets of the city, which of course in Tokyo you wouldn't be allowed to do anyway, but typically a cross country rather than a track event. I really love the the small loop environment where you can you can control so much. I, I fine tune my hydration and my fueling down to the milliliter. You know, I'm, I'm, I have a scale that my nutritionist has and they're weighing my bottles every two kilometers. I'm, I have my plan out literally down to the milliliter. So I love that control aspect of it. And then, you know, when I have in, at the Olympics in Rio, when I had my family and friends on the sidelines, being able to come by and see them every kilometer and have them cheering for me really, oh, yeah. really helped uh, propel me forward. So I love that. And then you can also see where your, your competitors are at all times. You know, they can't dip around the corner and you lose sight of them. You know exactly where you are in relation to, to everyone else at all times. Hadn't thought about that part, particularly, of course, you, you do always want to know who's ahead of you and exactly how far. When you get to Tokyo, oh, I wanted to ask you first about, about your race in Doha in Qatar. Uh, you did a 50-kilometer race there. I'm assuming, Evan, conditions in Qatar uh, on, on any given day are probably quite similar to conditions in the lower mainland of British Columbia this afternoon. What's it like running in that kind of extreme heat environment, not running, race walking in that extreme heat environment? Oh, it was the, one of the craziest things I've ever done. We had the race start at 1130 at night. So I was finishing at, uh, you know, 330 in the morning and um, it was still 32 degrees and 78% humidity. Um, so just absolutely treacherous conditions that were so much fun for me. I, I love dealing with stuff like that because I stand on the start line and I know I might not be the gen- genetically most gifted athlete, but I know that I've done all the little things right to give me that edge. And, and the hotter it is, the, the worse the conditions are, the, the more important those little things become. So, um, you know, I, that's one thing I'm looking forward to this weekend, getting out there and training in some of this ridiculous heat, but also, uh, in Japan as well this summer, competing in hopefully hot conditions and giving myself the best chance to get on the podium. What's it going to be like? Uh, what are you told as a Canadian uh, member of the Team Canada Olympic uh, gang going off to Tokyo in a few days? Uh, you you know, we hear different things about, uh, for example, a couple of weeks ago, the volunteers were said to have resigned because there was nobody to show around and the, all the people were forbidden from the stadiums. And of course, we potential international fans, Evan, were banned months ago. But now, uh, in recent days, literally, the government has said, well, we'll Will allow a few fans. They got to wear masks and they can't make a lot of noise, but they can sure cheer and be there. What's it going to be like? Because uh, you you talked about being in an event where your family and friends were there, and here you could be in, potentially playing literally to a near empty room. I mean, it does. It's not going to distract from your focus on your uh, the job at hand, but that buzz in the room got to make a difference, Evan. Uh, I mean, certainly, but uh, being a race walker growing up in the lower mainland, I've had my fair share of races where there was nobody there. So, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's not going to be too, too different for me from that perspective. Obviously, would love to have uh, my family there, but, you know, it's, it's, this year is different for everybody. And I know that they'll be at the World Championships next year cheering me on. So, uh, you know, that's just, that's just one of the small, tiny sacrifices that, 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 that I've had to make this year. But, um, you know, as you said, with the volunteers, yeah, completely understand the, the, the position they're being put in and, and yeah. the position that we're kind of imposing on, on the people of Japan. A lot of people in Japan don't want these Olympics happening. And, um, you know, I think there's a really interesting 
uh, avenue for, for that discussion. Obviously, we can't have it here today, but, um, you know, certainly I'm well aware of the fact that, that um, you know, this is taking place uh, in an environment where, where not everyone wants it there. But uh, I do have a lot of supporters in Japan, and I'm hoping that along the race course and uh, during the race, I can, I'll have a few people uh, support me. So that'll be really great. Interesting. Good stuff. And you mentioned small sacrifices you, you made, and, and of course they multiply into quite a big stack by the time you get close to where you want to be. Uh, you, the big sacrifice, of course, Evan was postponing everything for a year. What have you managed to, how did you manage to make that enormous adjustment and stay pretty much focused and on, on performance training schedules? I've had it's hard to underscore just how lucky um, and privileged I've been to be in a position where the last year of my life hasn't um, you know, had to fundamentally uh, change. Um, obviously, I, I missed a few training camps and a few races here and there, and, and, right. and those things are, are practically important to me. But in the grand scheme of things, um, I've been really lucky. And, and at the end of the day, all I need is a pair of shoes and some road to go out mm-hmm. and train. And, and, and neither of those things were taken away from me. So, um, you know, I've, I've put in, since my last 50K race in Doha, it's been 10,000 kilometers of training um, towards this next 50K. And um, I'm feeling really good, really fit and, and ready to take another crack at it. Indeed, and you're lucky to be here in BC because I'm uh, betting that many of your teammates on the Canadian delegation are in other provinces not able to enjoy the kind of at least outdoor access that we have for many months here in BC. Ontario, for example, Evan, just starting to catch up to us now. So again, even the team members arriving in Tokyo will have had different degrees of, uh, of tra- I mean, they'll all be trained up, but not not all of them will have necessarily had at, at the same access to the great outdoors as you have no i mean we just saw the canadian swimming trials take place uh and and hearing the stories of, of how those athletes had to make do without having access to pools you know these, yeah. these athletes who have been trained have been in the pool five six seven hours a day since they were you know young kids uh, uh having that taken away from them and and the adjustment that that took again i just count myself so lucky that uh, i was still able to just put my shoes on and, and head out the door Well, put your shoes on and keep us in mind when you hit Tokyo, Evan Dunphy. Thanks so much for doing this today, sir. We wish you considerable success and great fortune in Tokyo for the Olympic Games. Thanks for this, Evan. Thank you so much. Good afternoon to you. It's Sterling Fox in for Jill Bennett, who, of course, has spent the week being in for Simi Sarah as it's CKNW host vacation season. Nice to have you with us today. And by the way, very quickly, just wanted to remind you today, the buzz lines are open again. They were yesterday, but when we went to play buzz lines towards the end of the program, they were absolutely jam-packed with people singing Elton John songs. (laughs) It was just crazy. So I think we're past that today. And if you have any thoughts on what we're talking about, out on the radio today that you'd like to share with us. It's 604-331-BUZZ. Help yourself. Here's a headline from today's Montreal Gazette. Downtown Montreal transformed into one big party after the Habs win. As the Montreal Canadiens secured their place in the Stanley Cup final, there were makeshift parades, some tear gas, and a guy on a hoverboard directing traffic. Here to talk more about it is Renaud Lavoie, who is a hockey insider with TVA Sports, joining us today from Montreal. Renaud, good afternoon and welcome. Uh, th- thanks for having me, and uh, I was not the one directing traffic, believe me. 
You were you you were not the guy on the hoverboard. However, no. you were you were, and this is interesting because you know we had this fracas outdoor on the streets, and people were arrested, and cop cars were turned over, yeah. and you know we went through something resembling this, although much worse in Vancouver uh, years ago, Renault. And the, uh, for Vancouver people watching those pictures on television last night, the only reaction we had was. Oh my God! That's after they won. Imagine what would yeah. have happened if they'd lost. Uh, you know what? I think it would have been calm because it, it you know, it would have been uh, uh, not the end for the Canadians. They could have still, uh, you know, won that game seven in uh, in uh, Vegas on Saturday. Yeah, I don't that's think true. that there would have been any um, any um, to be honest, any riots or stuff like that. I think I think it was. Uh, Obvious that if the Canadians, uh, you know, were on the winning side last night, that it could have easily uh, uh, turned sour, and it's exactly what happened, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, I mean, you, you, you're allowing only 3,500 uh, uh, fans in the stands in the safest place, uh, you know, the Bell Center. Yeah, you wear a mask. There's distanciation, uh, and. <laughs> And you look at the pictures outside, and you're like, "There's something wrong here." Mm-hmm. Now, were the team? That, did that, you get, Rona? Did, cool. did you get because you were a member of the media and you were inside the arena? And once the uh, the 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 activity, tear gas, and all of this, it was La Fête Nationale. There were many, many thousands of people outside yeah. the Bell Center, just deliriously happy. Probably had a drink or two uh, and partying yeah. like crazy, and it just got a little out of hand. Now, as I understand it. The Canadians and members of the media, including you, were held inside the Bell Center until everything settled down. Is that the case? Well, the the building was put in a log, lockdown after the first period. They knew already that it was dangerous outside. I didn't want to report that. I received an email from the league saying that I didn't want to report it because I know I knew that if I report something like that, people in the stands won't. Um, won't uh, think about the game and think about how beautiful that game is mm-hmm. instead of being in um, involved mentally in the game 100%. I said that to myself that if I start reporting that, people are going to talk to themselves. They're going to ask themselves what's next. Uh, are we in danger? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and the, the game would have been, I guess, I guess in a way secondary. And I, 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 and don't maybe you're going to say that I'm a bad reporter, but I didn't even it didn't even send an email to the office. I said if if I send that to TVA, they're going to report it anyway. Yep. Uh, so no, I, I refused to do it until the end of the game. At the end of the game, I, I knew that the building was still in a lockdown, so I tweeted it. Uh, but um, no, it's uh, it's obvious that it was a dangerous scene. Yeah. Um, but. At the same time, it could have been worse. But, it, you know, I, I don't know how it is right now in Vancouver, to be honest with you. But I know one thing in Montreal, um, it's really, really strict. Um, they're, they're not giving a lot of oxygen to, um, you know, people who are still wearing masks. Uh, oh, yeah. you, 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 I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, it's not an easy situation. Uh, yeah. And to see that many people not wearing masks outside... Mm-hmm. Uh, being involved in incidents, it's uh, right. it's mind-boggling, to be honest it was with a, you. It was a little unnerving, uh, Renault. There's no question about it. And by the way, just for your personal information, uh, Quebec goes to full green on July 1st, and yeah, so, does full, British, uh, so does British what, Columbia. What is, so in, we're, we're almost even. What is full even. green? What is full green? 
What's the definition of full green? If 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 you're you still need to wear a mask, if there's limited spaces in restaurants, everything is limited. That's not full green. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I don't understand these colors. Full green is no mask, and you you can start your life like 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 before. And there's there's twenty one thousand people in the stands for the playoffs uh, for the Stanley Cup final. It's not going to happen. Believe me, you don't it's think not so? Gonna happen. No, that's it. So that's why that don't. I mean, when when the politicians are like full green, it's not true. Well, it's, if there was uh, a the Stanley reason, Cup the game I... in Vancouver, do you believe that if there was a Stanley Cup game in Vancouver tomorrow, that the building will be full? No, absolutely. So not. why 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 are they saying full green? Well, no, because they're uh, super uh, green. How many green? How many level of greens do you have? Right. Okay. Let's uh, let's let's talk about uh, the possibility. Hockey. Of of no no of more people because now we have the Stanley Cup Finals games uh, the the Canadians will not have home ice advantage regardless of who they face the Islanders or Tampa Bay so they're going to have their their first two home games in July so that will be at least technically after July first how many people do you they had thirty five hundred in there last night Renault how many do you think they're going to have on say July second or third when the Canadians well, get to have their host their first Stanley Cup Final home game. I've got a good one for you. The Montreal Canadian asked the Quebec government for 4,500 people last night. So a thousand people more. Okay. The answer was the answer was no. Interesting. Okay. Uh, can we talk about so, coaching for a second? Because there's a guy behind the bench who's a relative rookie and is coaching uh, assignments, who is a huge, huge fan favorite here in Vancouver. And of course, Renault, I'm talking about Alex Burroughs, yeah. who's helping out Luke Richardson and both of them, yeah. of course, stepping in for Mr. Descharm, who's out with COVID. Talk to us about the extra pressure on the coaches when the head coach isn't available. Uh, and you know what? Uh, Alex did a hell of a, uh, a job here, um, still doing it. Uh, he was the one running practices, by the way, something that was not mentioned, but it, mm-hmm. he's the one uh, with Dominic Ducharme being uh, at home. He's the one running practices. You're not. You're going to say, well, it's more morning skates. It's, there's a root, routine involved, and it's not much, but still, uh, he's really hands-on. I think Alex, uh, the way he, he built that power play, um, successfully, I should say, especially at the end of the season and, and during the playoffs, you have to give him a lot of credit. And he, you know, he's so passionate about uh, his job, like he was passionate uh, playing for the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Indeed, it, it's it's a great story. It's a great story, and it's a great move by Mark Bergevin, the GM, to when when he decides to make a, a coaching change to bring a guy like Alex, because first of all, Alex is uh, well known around the league, no doubt about that. But mm-hmm. he's, he's he's young. He's young, and he's bringing so much to the table. And he's doing drills with the players, and and he's always smiling, and he's involved, and he he knows he knows what to do exactly. And uh, no, you you have to um, give the coaching staff uh, from uh, Sean Berg to uh, Luke Richardson, Alex Burroughs to Dominic Ducharme, uh, tons of credits. But but at the end, at the end, the reality is, if the players don't want to play, you have you have no chances, right? They, they bought in the game plan, but I feel like inside that dressing room, there's something really unique coming from uh, a lot of players from BC, by the way, starting with Carey Price, Shea Weber, and Brandon Gallagher. Yeah. Wow. These yeah. three guys, I mean, they, uh, without, without these three guys, it's impossible that the Canadians will have any success. 
Renaud Lavoie, merci beaucoup. Thanks very much for this. We appreciate the energy and the enthusiasm, and we look forward and, to the Stanley and, Cup Finals. And sorry for that, for my rampage on that green color. But I, oh. I, it's always interesting to see how green is green and the level of greens in this world right now. The frustration with the messaging, Renault, is equally shared in British oh, Columbia. Oh, I can oh, assure you of that. Oh. Thanks very much for this today. We appreciate hey. it. And we'll be looking forward to the finals on TV on Monday. There's Renault Lavoie from TVA Sports in Montreal. Sterling Fox in for Jill Bennett on this beautiful, warm Friday afternoon here in Westminster. 29 degrees, easily transferable into the 30s in Abbotsford about uh, 15 minutes down the road. Uh, here's uh, something for you from the Better Business Bureau website. With COVID-19 vaccines rolling out, case numbers decreasing, and travel restrictions gradually, gradually reducing across the country, as well as for several population tourist destinations, flights are coming back on the travel agenda. While this may be great news for summer vacation plans, it also presents opportunities for scammers. Yes, travel scams. Anytime there's a chance for the bad guys to step in and take advantage of a situation, you can bet the farm they will. Carla Laird is here. Ms. Laird is the Senior Manager of Media and Communications with the Better Business Bureau of right here in Vancouver. Carla, welcome back. Good to have you on the show again. Hey, Sterling. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, it's good to have you with us. And this is, you know, as I said, every time something new happens, there's an opportunity for people who are, uh, well, just uh, uh, bad to try and take advantage of uh, this situation. So now you're warning about travel scams. Claire Newell tells us that at her travel agency, Travel Best Bets, uh, they're rehiring staff, Carla. It's all good news. The buzz is definitely there. People are starting to book, especially into 2022. And some of the more brave among us are booking seats on flights or ships or whatever for late this year. So much activity. So naturally, the bad guys will try and slither into there and take <laughs> take take out of there what they can. So what sort of uh, uh, travel scams are you hearing about at the Better Business Bureau? I love that you said that they just slither in there because that is literally exactly what they do. So based on the reports that we're seeing on BBB Scam Tracker, these fraudsters are now creating flight booking websites that look very similar to the real thing if you were booking a flight online um what they do is they know that you're looking for these cheap flights sure. these cheap flight prices right now and so that's literally what they're using as their their hook to pull people in so you're seeing these awesome vacation deals awesome flight deals and they're for almost you know ridiculous prices almost too good to pass up and so that is what triggers people to click on them and they go through the process like a legitimate booking site. So you are sure. sharing your personal information. And when you're done, you're sharing your credit card information to confirm that flight. And you will even receive a confirmation email afterwards. But it's when you go through that confirmation email, you're realizing that a lot of the things that you typically see. So, for instance, you would see details about your flight itinerary, where you're sitting. The, the the delay between um, connection flights, all of those kinds of things were missing. And then when the, the consumers reached out to the airline to actually confirm if they had a flight, you're either hearing there was no flight to begin with, or it's the case of, you know, there we don't have any reservations for you. And so that's when people started reporting to us that these are the scams that they're seeing. So what it is, is a bogus front 
for scammers who are and they'll they spend a little bit of time and money obviously on their website because they need to draw you in so it's flashy and gaudy and slick enough looking that you go oh this this looks uh, this could be you know this is really uptown okay and so then and then they offer flights on well-known airlines so it all looks perfectly legit until after you get uh, some kind of official response for having given them your money already, right? Yes, exactly. And that's that's literally exactly the play-by-play of what happens. And how one of the questions that we did get from one of our victims was, how did they manage to make the, the website so sophisticated? Yeah. And the truth is they take the time to build these websites. So some of them are copying data that would be on a legitimate flight booking or a travel website. We also see where they've... They've stolen credit card information from victims in other scams and then take that money or that credit card detail to make purchases that they use to beef up their website to make it look um, more authentic. And so it's literally taking proceeds from one fraud to facilitate another. And then that's how they end up victimizing more and more people and supporting the sophistication of these scams. Yeah, another one of the scams, and I, I did a little homework. I have to do homework before you come on, Carla, because you're just so far ahead of the rest of us because you know about all of this stuff. And one of the other scams, and this is this is how bad guys prey on people. When some of us go on vacation, not all of us, but some of us like to pack along the pooch. So uh, they take advantage of people who are looking for pet uh, inclusion on their travel plans. Tell us how that one works. Yes, that's actually something that is quite concerning because of the fact that they're using the opportunity of the pandemic to charge lots of money to, for instance, add a pet to your flight. And so Mm -hmm. we've seen a report that came in where someone was actually trying to make amendments to their existing flight. So they had a flight already. They were just trying to reach out to the airline to make some changes and add their pets to to travel with them. And so in doing that, they go online, they do a search, and the number, the customer service number that they find, thinking that it actually takes them to the airline, is took them to the scammer instead. And they spent over $900 um, U.S., that is, trying to get a dog added to their flight, and then another almost over $400 trying to add a cat. And so all of that money together in U.S. dollars, um, was was paid by credit card, and they didn't realize until afterwards, after sharing their credit card information, after over the phone, not knowing who they were really talking to. Right. That's when they realized that there was no adjustments to their flight, no dogs, no cats were added to the to the trip, and all of that money was gone. And I suppose the big mistake there was thinking they had the right airline customer service number. So when they did that Google search, uh, somebody had, and you can do this, you can manipulate the search engine. Uh, somebody had given an incorrect or placed an incorrect bogus uh, customer service number right in with all of the others. And they unfortunately chose the wrong one and didn't find out they'd been ripped off to the tune of what, 13, 1400 U.S., until after they called the airline to confirm that the dog and the cat had been uh, uh, were locked onto the same flight they were going to, and the airline had never heard about this, and they were just obviously short a few bucks then, weren't they? Yeah, so what we've actually been learning from the victims is that the, the scammers themselves are posting sponsored ads. So they pay money to get these these um, search results higher up in the, when yes. you do your search. So you you do a search for, let's say, United, because that was the airline that was um, impersonated in this case. And okay. the scammers paid to get that 
that, that bogus number at the top of the search results. So the first thing you see, United Airlines and the customer service number, you're likely going to just go ahead and call it because you're trusting the results that you see. Not sure. necessarily realizing that it doesn't actually link back to the legitimate website or that the information that you're getting is bogus. And so that is what caused that specific um, consumer to lose all of that money. But I suppose the good thing in this situation is that they use the credit card. So they were able to report the fraud to their bank and have them investigate it and dispute the charges and were able to get that money back because it was confirmed that it was a fraudulent purchase that was done unknowingly. So that's the benefit of using your credit card when you make these kinds of transactions. Interesting. You know, I I need to take a break. Carl, uh, can I get you to stick around? Because we're we're just sort of getting warmed up on this. And I I was curious, uh, just before we take the break, one of the things that would certainly be a red flag for anyone, I think, if they were flipping around looking for travel arrangements of any kind, and suddenly they came across this website that, as you described earlier, looks almost too good to be true. But then if they uh, found that you would be able to pay for your flights or whatever in some kind of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or something, I think that would be an enormous red flag. Have you seen any of that in uh, in your travels as as you're looking over the the web the internet for scams? Well, so far no, but it definitely wouldn't be surprising because we have seen reports of wire transfers, which are one of the other popular um, payment methods that scammers like to utilize. Mm-hmm. So, in tip under normal circumstances, airlines tend to take payment with your with your card. So whether it's a debit card or a credit card. So if you're getting requests to make payments otherwise, that would definitely be a red flag for sure. Uh, Sterling for Jill on Friday afternoon, a tip of the top hat to Dr. Tim French for finding the bunny hop. That's fabulous. Sorrell Sedman is joining us from Rabbitat's Rabbit Rescue to talk about the new bunny cafe and what the heck's going on at the airport. Sorrell, it's been years. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. And yeah, that was an awesome intro. I, no I'm kidding. <laughs> Tim said it. Just, just you wait. Just you wait. Just wait until I say go. And that was just wonderful. So tell us about the Bunny Cafe. We know that the woman who uh, who started and owned the Cat Cafe, which turned into an enormous success, experimented with rabbits a couple of times at the Cat Cafe, and it turned out to be a pretty positive experience. Is that what propelled her to open the Bunny Cafe? Uh, pretty much, yep. They, um, lucky for the bunnies, uh, they ran out of cats. And that was in, I think, uh, December of 2018. And they called us and said, hey, you know, bring some bunnies over. We might as well give it a shot. And um, it worked out so well, it kept being held over and held over. So we ended up there the almost the entire month of December and, uh, you know, went, uh, hey, this uh, this could be a long-term thing here. And so now it's official. And, and it's it's as as the Bunny Cafe, it's still quite recent, right? It opened on uh, Tuesday. That's and, right. So we're talking. Uh, I, think, I think we're the first one in North America. I have no other I have evidence at all of any other Bunny Cafes anywhere in North America. I haven't heard of any. Uh, by the way, friends, the address is 1696 Venables. It's literally at the corner of Commercial Drive and Venables. It's pretty easy to find. How many uh, rabbits would a person expect to see uh, upon a visit to the cafe, Sorrel? We usually like to have around two dozen. That way people can be um, can be swarmed and the bunnies that decide they don't want to participate can hang out in their little bunny benches. 
and not be bothered. And right. uh, there still be lots and lots of um, friendly little little furry things to keep everybody um, popping. And so what I'm told is that when you go there, particularly if you might be interested in adopting a bunny, they have on staff bunny whisperers to help you get to know whatever creature you decide you might want to get to know. Yes, we are big on education. Uh, we want people to know exactly what they're getting into when they're thinking about adopting rabbits. So, um, And we also want to make sure that they handle the rabbits. Uh, well, they can't handle the rabbits at all, but that they, um, they interact with the rabbits properly at the Bunny Cafe. So they get um, they get the rundown when they walk in, and they also get a little cup of of treats that the bunnies will love them forever for. Of course, of course. Now you've been working with rabbits forever. Uh, when when you're contemplating adopting a creature like a rabbit, as compared to Sorel, say a dog or a cat, what uh, what big adjustment do you need to make? Uh, you have to be aware that they love chewing wires. It's um I think I think it's like they want to clear the vines in the forest in case anything chases them because everything <laughs> chases rabbits and right. they don't want to trip so they they make sure that nothing is in their way so they they pretty much train you to get your your wires out of the way and um, anything else that that they think might be blocking their path or a lovely little area they'd like to move into but let's say that you know buffet isn't quite quite they can't quite squeeze behind it so they may try to make the hole bigger <laughs> so, so are are, you, are rabbits typically indoor or outdoor animals or do they sort of go both ways they go both ways we have a policy where the rabbits that are born inside we like to keep inside but the rabbits that are born outside we will house in large um, uh, colonies in enclosures where they can have a natural environment. And these, these rabbits are, uh, even if they've been born outside, uh, a lot of them are still super uh, friendly. They'll, they'll friendly up with, you know, two days of treats and their lap bunny. So right, right. They, they, yeah, they're, they're mercenary little creatures. <laughs> they certainly are. Now, uh, very quickly, um, so if, if you're gonna if you're planning on having a, bringing a rabbit into your life, you pretty much got to plan on constructing a hutch of some kind for that outdoor component. Sorel, I need to change gears. I've only got a couple of minutes, and I need to change gears, kind of, because I need to know what you would do with the bunnies, the rabbit problem at the airport. The airport says, "Well, they'll just kill them." And you say, well, you know, you don't have to go that far. What would you do with the rabbit problem at YVR? Well, we're always under, uh, we're, we're always promoting the rabbits as an attraction, like the Bunny Cafe rabbits. They're not mm -hmm. a pest. So these are domestic rabbits. They, uh, again, as I said, they friendly up really quick. Mm -hmm. And they stick close to people. So even at the airport, they're, they're close to the structures and, and they're, around the, the parking lots and they're at the busy parts of the, the park. They're not, they're not out in the wild. And pretty much all you have to do is put a secure fence around them, make sure they're spayed and neutered because they do indeed breed like rabbits. How bad. And people can come by and look at them and get instant bunny therapy. And uh, especially a place like YVR, you know, they're, they're an attraction 
their uh, their tourist destination. Uh, Michelle opened the Bunny Cafe on Commercial Drive because it was a tourist area. They do mm. attract that crowd. And right. uh, YVR could have been innovative, and they could have uh, they could have had us um, maintain an enclosure for them. And well, it's not over yet, Sorrel. It, it's <laughs> not over yet. Unfortunately, they have indeed killed all the rabbits at YVR. Sorrel, I have to leave it there. Thanks for this uh, tip and, and pitch for the Big Bunny Cafe at Commercial Inventables. We'll talk again. And hope after- to see you there.